0: Hello, lovely listeners. Please enjoy this follow-up episode to Sid, Branca, and I's discussion about the male gaze. This is like a part two to that episode where we talk about the female gaze. And if you're a little confused about why you're not getting male gaze part two, Remember that that full episode is only available to patrons at patreon.com/girlsgutsgiallo or through Spotify subscriptions. I don't know if you want to give them your money, that's up to you. And this episode is the same, so the full version of this episode is only available to patrons or through Spotify subscriptions. And if you're listening on the free end here, you get the first hour and 20 minutes of this discussion, but the full discussion is two and a half hours. So without further ado, please enjoy the free version of this episode.
2: Le pauvre, aisément, mon corps précieux et capricieux, l'azur de mes yeux, audace.
0: Hello again, this is Annie Rose Malamette and welcome back to another episode of Girls Guts and Giallo. And today this is a bonus episode about, it's it's like a part two from our last bonus episode about the male gaze. And today we're talking about the female gaze. And I'm joined once again with Sid Bronca. Hi, Sid.
3: Hi, it's so nice to be here again.
0: So lovely to have you again. And Sid, can you remind the listeners, who you are, and what you do, and like what you're about artistically.
3: Yeah, I will try to give a short <laughs> answer to that. Um, so um, on the kind of academic side of things and educational side of things, I teach at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago uh, in film, video, new media, and animation. Um, so I have a certain amount of like art historical context on that side but also am making things and teaching people how to make things so i'm a a video artist and i make experimental moving image work in a variety of modes um and i'm particularly interested in things about uh gender and sexuality and trans experience and um but also very interested in like genre fiction and popular media and how all of those things can interrelate um, I got to write a new artist statement or something so I can get a better elevator pitch, but that's kind of my deal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and we had a really amazing, fruitful discussion about the male gaze, um, and people are really enjoying that episode, which is very cool. I'm glad we're putting that into the zeitgeist. Yeah. So as like a follow-up, we thought we would talk about the female gaze. And I kind of had like a pipe dream that we would also talk about the queer gaze. But this got so long <laughs> that I was like, maybe that's part three.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I also felt like I actually don't want to lump the queer gaze in with the female gaze because mm-hmm. I actually think it's totally different. Um, When I was rereading my uh, Deviant Eyes, Deviant Bodies by Chris Strayer, I was like, actually no this is too different yeah
3: I think they're going in very different directions um, as kind of like theoretical frameworks or like modes of rhetoric or something um, even though they're responding to some of the same things
0: right right so Sid actually read Iris Bray's book about the female gaze um, yeah which is in French and not translated so I did not read it (laughs) Um, but I want to start off this discussion with Sid telling, telling us, telling me, about this book. So tell me about Iris Bray's Female Gaze.
3: Yeah, so um, this book came out pretty recently, so it has not yet been translated into English. Um, I suspect, although I do not know this for sure, that it will be soon, because it's my understanding that Iris Bray is also working on a sort of documentary or like essay film um, around some of these same ideas, so I, were I involved on this team, I would plan it such that the English translation would come out at the same time as as the film. Um, although I don't know that for sure, um, but so it is a book in French called um, "The Female Gaze: A Revolution on Screen," um, with the caveat that my French is not great (laughs) so it was like kind of a painstaking process for me to read this book and um you know anyone please listening feel free to school me (laughs) if i have misunderstood anything but um essentially it's um iris bray um making an effort to give what she feels is like a rigorous definition of the female gaze in film or what female gaze films might look like or mean um, because it is a phrase that gets kind of thrown around a lot um in of contemporary media discourse as a counter to or reaction to or uh, in opposition to the male gaze in film.
0: Um, but for, I just want to say as an aside that the first time I heard this phrase was the wave of Lady Gaga feminism in like 2009. <laughs> when everybody was writing essays about Lady Gaga. So it's not like a phrase that Iris Bray, quote unquote, invented. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kind of like how Laura Mulvey didn't invent the phrase, the male gaze. Like she took it from John Berger. So yeah, just that was the first time I heard it.
3: Yeah, I think the first time I ever encountered it was like, in like the handle of an instagram account or something <laughs> so it's a very the tracks like, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a very like
0: there was also a lot of exhibitions like art exhibitions hmm. called like the female gaze <laughs> yeah it was very edgy in the early 2010s
3: yeah yeah it, it feels like it's been very kind of like buzzword and like a phrase that certainly evokes things um but The claim at least that Iris Bray is making is that like there hasn't really been a like a rigorous effort to like define that and so that people are kind of using the phrase in a a variety of different ways. Like sometimes people use it to mean just like a film made by a woman, Um, which Iris Bray rightfully I think is like, okay, well, that's not sufficient. Like a woman can definitely make a male gaze film like (laughs) that that's not the satisfactory definition um but then also you know some people have used it in in critical writing to refer to like a woman director objectifying a man in sort of like applying a male gaze kind of thing but with a gender swap and sometimes that's what people mean when they say female gaze um which iris bray is also like i don't think that's what we're talking about here and so this book is in part her attempt to come up with like a rubric for um, what the female gaze like means in a film. And she talks through a bunch of films that she thinks are examples of that, which we can kind of get into a little bit later. But one of the big like claims, I guess, of this book, um, or maybe uh, the putting forward of a hypothesis by this book um, is that she lists out what she thinks the like six qualities of what she would describe as like a female gaze film would be and maybe i can just like read what they are
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely um,
3: so um and some of them i think are more effective than others but we'll talk about it so she says on the level of narrative um the, there are three points about narrative like what is happening in the story and then three points about like what's happening formally with the film um so narratively she says it's uh, a film where uh the main character identifies as a woman the story is told from her point of view and something about the story is calling into question the patriarchal order of things and then on the more the sort of formal choices um, and I think, based on what she's writing, a lot of that has to do with like camera choices and editing choices. Um, the film is constructed in a manner, in a manner that allows the spectator to feel the female experience. If bodies are eroticized, it it is a conscious gesture. In contrast to you, Laura Mulvey talking about the kind of unconscious nature of male gaze or like unconsciousness, um, and then. The last one, which is maybe the one that I take the most issue with, is the pleasure of spectators does not stem from the scopic drive from taking pleasure in objectifying a person through the gaze like a voyeur. That English translation um, is not mine. That's from a CinemaScope article by Erica Balsam. Otherwise, if I quote from the book, it's my own mediocre translation skills. (laughs) But those are kind of those points identify the care the, there's a protagonist who's a woman it's told from her point of view and her story questions the patriarchy and the film is constructed in ways that are designed to make the audience kind of feel what she's experiencing and the eroticism is conscious and not voyeuristic and yeah and again then she kind of like talks through a variety of specific films um but the other kind of, um there are a couple moments where she just lays out a definition so maybe i'll just like give those real quick too and then we can chat about it um so at the very beginning of the book so she uses the phrase female gaze like in english a lot in the book um okay but also interesting choice yeah but then also sometimes uses it sort of interchangeably with the french phrase uh the regard feminine i can only read it i can't pronounce anything Um, but, um, which, like, French doesn't exactly have the same distinction between, like, the word that means female and the word that means feminine, like, Mm -hmm. so, kind of...
0: And also the regard would be, like, to to look, it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean a gaze.
3: Right, so it's like a feminine look is literally the...
0: Like, well, I can see why she uses the term female gaze because gaze is very different than look. Mm-hmm. Even though Mulvey kind of even uses them somewhat interchangeably. Like she talks about the to be looked atness yeah. of women.
3: Yeah. So there's like, there's this kind of interesting, and also the fact that um, like le regard is a masculine noun is right. kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and so it's like using the masculine version of the adjective feminine um, to describe it. So it's like, there's already really complicated gender stuff happening just in the grammar of that word or in that right. in that phrase. Um, but so she kind of uses both the French phrase and the English phrase. But so she defines it early in, in the book as a look that makes us feel the experience of a female body on screen. Um, so by that she means like not necessarily a look created by a female artist, but a look that adopts the point of view of a female character to embrace her experience. And then later she says, a look that gives subjectivity to the female character, thus allowing the viewer, and here she says, literally says, allowing the male viewer and the female viewer to feel the experience of the heroine without identifying with her, which I think is interesting, Um, or maybe like without necessarily identifying with her. But so it's very much about, like, she's very focused in this writing on less of a psychoanalysis model of all this stuff and more of a thinking about embodied experience of the viewer and of the embodied experience of, like, the image of the body on screen, which is, like, she she describes this as, like, more of a, like, a phenomenological approach.
0: Um, Okay.
3: And so... Um,
0: academia is so funny I know it's like okay
3: (laughs) Um, and so and one of the things that she um, talks about is like that the use of like super close up shots um, particularly like of the body and of skin um, is something that uh, she talks about in like a, a lot of the different films that are discussed, um, and then there's this one other quote I wanna read, and that's then mm-hmm. that's kind of all my quotes. <laughs> um, um, so close-ups not used to carve up a body to objectify it, like in porno films, but to, mm-hmm. gi- <laughs> but to give <laughs> texture to the shot and above all, share the heroine's desire. By filming skin very close, one can give a haptic quality to the film and no longer an erotic charge. This is the case in Hiroshima Mon Amour by Alan René or Go Fish by Rose Troche.
0: From there- Oh, speak for yourself. Yeah, right, exactly.
3: I'm, I'm <laughs> just, I take issue with it. But it says, so from there, the pleasure of the spectators no longer lies in the perception of a body object, but in the fact that one has the impression of being able to touch these bodies. The female gaze offers another way of desiring, which is no longer based on an asymmetry in power relations but on the idea of equality and sharing. Which I feel like that kind of encapsulates a lot of what she's thinking about. Um, that it is very much about wanting to have like a somewhat like egalitarian relationship between the viewer and the viewed. And I, I think it's it, it feels very telling or like the, the fact that for her the, in order for the woman to have like a position of agency in this looking, then there has to be like an equal balance of power, which is why, like, again, I feel like this is a n- not kinky theoretical framework.
0: No, not at all. <laughs> but the, and that's kind of why I was like, I think the queer gaze is actually a different thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I also didn't want to be like, well, queer is like women light, like books. <laughs> right. Because like this that. is very much like literally about it's like feminist theory, you mm-hmm. know, it's the idea that um, the, you know, the men and women should be equal, mm-hmm. like that I, the, the desire should be alleg- egalitarian. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have something here that says that the writing still operates from the assumption that there is a protagonist. And that we should identify with or at least empathize with the protagonist.
3: Yeah. Yeah, because I think like, even though, you know, it's saying, oh, to allow the viewer to feel the experience of the heroine without identifying with her as like the requirement to feel empathy. Um, but I think there's still in the writing this attitude that like, okay, for it to be a female gaze film, it's gotta be about a woman <laughs> and that we should feel what she's feeling.
0: But that's so silly because at the male gaze, a lot of those movies are about women.
3: Yeah. And I think that the, the argument, right, is that they're about women, but we're not supposed, we're supposed to feel like someone looking at her. We're not supposed to okay. feel what she's feeling.
0: And in this analysis, it's more like we are supposed to be her, like yeah. be in her position.
3: Right. At least on like a, a sort of a, sensory level or an emotional level,
0: even right. if even
3: if we don't like intellectually identify with her. But right. it, that sounds a lot like identifying to me.
0: <laughs> it I was gonna ask what's the difference. <laughs> right. Yeah.
3: And I and I feel like she is saying that there's a difference that I'm not sure I But see. then not
0: explaining it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um you also said here that Bray does acknowledge that the term female gaze might come off as bioessentialist, which is of course like very contemporary, like Laura Mulvey would never have said that mm-hmm. back then. <laughs> um, and that she emphasizes that trans women are women and that feminine and female is not the opposite of masculine and male. Yeah. But still but still has a certain type of cis woman's attachment to a kind of historical feminist language of womanness. That's a quote from you.
3: Yeah. Like, I think the – like, she has a moment kind of early on where she's like, so the phrase female gaze, like – and emphasizing the kind of femaleness of it. And we're talking about women and like, and she, and she kind of talks about like, oh, well, you know, like in my, in my circles, like there's all kinds of gender stuff happening. And like, I know that this is not like a, that it's not like a binary or whatever, but like, I still think that the position of women is like so central to this discussion that like using this language still feels like the right language to me. Um, And it's like, it's not a super, like, satisfying answer to that counter-argument. But, like, she at least, like, knows that that counter-argument is, like, coming.
0: <laughs> and, right.
3: Um,
0: it's not super convincing, but at least she acknowledges. Mm-hmm. And, like,
3: and does make a point to, like, at various points in the book like mench- like make direct re- reference to the fact that when she's talking about women in film she is including trans women in that
0: but then doesn't really mention any movies with trans women
3: right <laughs> and, and, and so like I'm not it feels a little um,
0: I'm doing my due diligence but like I don't really care or... Yeah, or,
3: or like I'm like it just it feels like a very like cis woman perspective on it like Oh, like, I'm acknowledging this. So that's check, you know, like, like that's done. <laughs> like, again, like a lot of people don't clear that very low bar. um. So it's good that she does. <laughs> um, But it, it, it feels like not necessarily a, a, like a deep enough reckoning with that. And like, when she talks about it not being this kind of opposite, like not kind of like binary thing, um, she has a very kind of abstract um, way of talking about that, like talks about Derrida. Um,
0: okay, tell me. <laughs> let me find
3: the section. <laughs> yeah, that it's like, it's not like they're opposites, but that they're different in the in this sort of sense of difference. Um, and I'm like... <laughs> oh, <I've>,
0: French people.
3: <laughs> right. And I'm like, I'm not totally sure I've read enough theory to like get where you're going with this point um because it's like this like very abstract argument so i'm scrolling through the (laughs) ebook but i think like again that it's not about again i do think it's correct right that to, to not be like oh feminine looking is is not just the opposite of of male looking that it's but it's like a it's a more complicated and sort of destabilizing um relationship like oh the the female gaze is the thing that destabilizes the concept of the male gaze or the the structure of the male gaze it's not okay a, that op- makes sense yeah and i think like trying to yeah i mean to escape fellow discourse is i believe the phrase used <laughs> um and like i think that that's accurate to a sense right or like that's like a a way of thinking about female gaze in relation to male gaze that is more open and more interesting than mm-hmm. just like and then there's chicks making movies too wow <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's cuz that's a lot of male ga- female gaze writing or um you know i was looking up some other like what are some other female gaze texts hold on and some of the texts that have been mentioned a lot are um, this uh, essay from The Handmaid's Tale to I Love Dick. The female gaze is thriving on television. Then there was like a rebuttal to that essay. Um, but a lot of this is um, like very heterosexual. I also um, think
3: it feels like it's all very television oriented yes which she does talk a fair amount about television in this book um I'm less equipped to talk about it because I haven't seen any of the shows
0: (laughs) I really don't know I don't feel like I'm I don't really watch that much Mm -hmm. like episodic media and then when I do it's like to zone out like I'm not really analyzing it very deeply um but there was another article Uh, called No Such Thing Yet, Questioning Television Female Gaze. Um, And then there was another one called Chick Flicks and the Straight Female Gaze by Natalie Perfetti-Oates, and that the heterosexual female gaze can become problematic because it objectifies the male subject. So then there's also these like little offshoots, of female gaze like there's the heterosexual female gaze Um, which is just
3: like gender swap male gaze it sounds like
0: yes which is like uh, who cares and
3: whatever objectify more men i guess yeah whatever yeah Uh. Yeah. (laughs) yeah
0: um and then uh something by jessica taylor a uh which i believe is like a longer piece called romance and the female gaze obscuring gendered violence in the twilight saga oh well so
3: (laughs) i have recorded many hours of podcast about twilight so i perhaps should not get into it on this one yeah
0: so yeah sid has a podcast called american vampire right yeah which is about the twilight series so if you want to hear more about that right yeah i mean i feel like i (laughs) i just watched them for the first time ever and um it's not so much a female gaze as it is a Mormon gaze. I would
3: absolutely agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like the Mormonness of that of those texts is more important than they're being written by a woman..
0: I like the idea of there being all these like different gazes, and like female and male are just two of them. Right, like it's like we're at the I,
3: optometrist, and it's like the thing at the optometrist where they put all the different lenses in front of your eyes. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Like it's they're existing because we've been so brainwashed into a gender binary. Like we sort of feel like those are just the two, or that they exist as opposites from each other. But I find I think that. Like, you can apply multiple gazes to different films, like Je Tu Il Elle, which Iris Bray talks about, um, is, like, a female gaze, according to her definition, but it's also a queer gaze. Absolutely. Uh, Right. So, um, you know, and I feel like even films can even contain the male and the female gaze, (laughs) like, in... At, what, in, at different points in the narrative mm-hmm. and that i can get behind
3: yeah i mean i think like having this like little rubric i think like yes it's helpful to have a definition for a term if you're gonna use it um especially something so potentially like nebulous and just like evocative without detail um as as the phrase female gaze um but on the other hand i'm like like reducing everything to being a sort of Bechdel test reiteration is also not a very fun way to watch a film
0: yeah <laughs> it's just not fun and that's what we were talking about last time we were like so where's the pleasure because mm-hmm. <laughs> this essay has a sexy title but this isn't a very sexy essay
3: yeah and I think like there are parts of this book that like are describing things pretty sexily. um, But it's always in a context of like, egalitarian sexiness, that it feels like really pointedly that like, the way that she writes about um, the piano, for example, is like, um, it's like pretty sexy, um, at least like parts of it, um, you know, the parts that are not about the horrible things that happen in that film <laughs> um, yeah. but um and like when when she's talking about portrait of a lady on fire right it's like it's very like ooh, um but it's kind of dependent on i think the equal playing field that is is present at least in those moments of that film um like it seems that there is room in this in irisbury's discourse right for like things to be sexy but they also have to be like fair
0: and that's not very sexy <laughs> but also i'm a perv so <laughs>
3: <laughs> right or like like that can be sexy right like but it is not the it doesn't encompass that wider range of the human experience of interpersonal relationships mm-hmm. right like there's almost always uh some kind of power differential at play um and that's like part of what's fun that's like also part
0: of being human (laughs) yeah that's you know if i don't know if things can ever truly be completely egalitarian in sex
3: right or like and and like stay there right and stay
0: there right like it could move in and out of that Right. But to yeah. to be fixed at that. Um just like I don't think a movie, a film is fixed in one gaze <laughs> or another. Um, so let's talk about we start we started talking about some of Iris Bray's um selected female gaze films and series. Yeah,
3: so, yeah, so at the end of the book, um, there is a sort of almost like a syllabus or a watching list or something of Um, of films and television series um, that she thinks that if you're interested in this you should
0: take a look at Um, that she feels illustrate the female gaze as she defines it
3: Mm -hmm. and it it's a there's some really interesting choices on here um especially when I got to this list at the end, I there were a couple of things that I was surprised to see on this list after the way that she talked about them in the in the text mm. itself. Um, I think most notably um anatomy of hell, um, because she talks about Catherine Briat in a way that she basically says when she's talking about like there's a the female gaze and the male gaze, and then she is basically like, in Catherine Briot films, it gets like really complicated. It's, it's, it's
0: complex. I don't know how to feel about it. <laughs> um, Anatomy of Hell. I mean, Catherine Briot is one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. Um, and I remember in college, I uh, was talking to like a group of like feminists, like who were into <laughs> film. We were all hanging out. And I was like, I really loved Anatomy of Hell. I watched it recently. And this one, like, cis straight woman was like, How can you like that movie? Like, her entire thesis is that women are disgusting. Like, how could you like that? And I was like, Okay. But (laughs) I, it, people have very, I mean, that's just very indicative of people have very strong (laughs) reactions to her work. Um, mm-hmm. And Anatomy of Hell in particular. So the plot of Anatomy of Hell, for people who haven't seen it, is there's this gay man played by Rocco Sufredi, porn star Rocco Sufredi, who... He's super hot. He's really hot. And also really hot as a gay man, like specifically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, also like bde for this straight male porn star playing a gay man, not giving a fuck. He's in her uh he's in Romance as well. Uh, another one of her movies, which I think actually illustrates Iris Bray's thesis more. So I wonder I wonder
3: if it's harder to find or something. Because I haven't seen that one yet. Okay. Um, but I really, really want to.
0: It's great. So
3: I'm excited to talk to you about it once I see it. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's great. Um and in Anatomy of Hell, uh basically uh, you know, Rocco C. Freddy is in a gay club and there's this lone woman standing in the corner kind of watching him. And he goes uh, as he's going down to the bathroom in the basement, she's coming up. And as she's coming up, she like brushes him very like sexually. And being intrigued, he goes back down to the bathroom to find her and she is in the bathroom um, cutting herself like in the act of he thinks trying to kill herself and he's like why are you doing that and she's like because i'm a woman so it's very french Uh, oh yeah it uh, is one of the most french movies i've ever seen yeah and uh, she ends up uh asking him hiring him to come to her house every night for a week and watch her like in her bedroom naked and uh, that's basically the plot. It's very audacious. Not a lot of people go there. Not a lot of directors can go there and really talk about the misogyny of gay men. Uh, that's very rare. I, can, I can't I can really think of any other films that really explore that this way. Right,
3: like that aggressively. Yeah. Like really get into it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And for that alone – it's an important film. And basically he, they have a lot of, you know, French style dialogues about gender, um, and about the inherent, uh, like revulsion that people have for the female body, uh, you know, specifically the cis female body. And he, kind of like very childishly explores her body um they have sex it's also like very unclear if the sex is like rape um that she's this might you know sound counterintuitive but it makes more sense in the plot like rape that she's like kind of allowing to happen
3: yeah, the, like, who has power in what ways and who is consenting under what kind of coercion in, like, every interaction they have is incredibly complicated. Yes. And, like, and, and it seems like not only can we as viewers not clearly parse that out, but I don't think the characters know either. They don't know.
0: Yeah, so it's... The film offers no answers. It's just sort of exploring that question. Um, And it's just like really amazing for showing a sexual relationship between a gay man and a cis woman. Um, And, you know, he's very like repulsed but also very fascinated by her body. This movie was very famous because it has like close-up pussy shots um mm-hmm. like of a you know a dildo like coming out of a pussy uh there's menstrual blood which a lot of you know films are shy away from mm-hmm. uh you know Rocco Siffredi like puts his hand inside of her and takes it out and it's covered in blood and he puts it in his mouth yeah yeah it's great it's a great movie but <laughs> this one, this young woman was so upset with me for for uh liking this movie so i i was just remembering that on this uh re but what is uh iris bray say about it
3: so one of the things um <laughs> she says um about um both uh, anatomy in hell and uh fat girl or amasseur to my sister um which is another film by Catherine Briat. Um says it that it like leaves you with like a confused feeling. She says like you don't know what like, you really don't know what to say or like what to think or what you're look, like what you're really looking at or how. Um that it like com- she's like it, it complicates the categories of of male gaze and female gaze. Yes, that's kind um, of the point, right? <laughs> and like, um, wh- part of why she considers it a female gaze film is that, like, in the film, the woman is asking the man to look at her where she's like not look at a bowl. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's ex- what if if we're thinking about the kind of to be looked atness that we talked about in in the context of. The male gaze episode, like that, what Anatomy of Hell is partially about is when do women not have a to be looked atness, and what does it mean to make a man look at her when she's not look does not have the to be looked atness?
0: I like that, I like that analysis,
3: yeah, and I think it's like, um, uh, <laughs> I think too, like, one of the things that. I'm laughing just because it's funny in French to see the word porno for some reason. I, like, I just <laughs> <Exactly>. love like <laughs>
0: European saying porno.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, but so like part of it is thinking about like how it's shot and that the close ups don't necessarily like reduce Rocco Siffredi to his this is her language reduce him to his status as a as a porno actor.
0: Yeah, but um, the fact that he's a porno actor, porno, is kind of the point. Well, <laughs> it's right. Very, he's Which is a,
3: why I feel like she doesn't quite get it.
0: She doesn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> he's a famous porn star. There's no... Using him in a film is a very deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. Um, He is known for that. He's not... It's not that Catherine Briot was like, well, I need people who are okay like showing dick on camera, so I'll get a porn star, which is kind of what Iris Bray, that's kind of like what she, sounds like she's...
3: Feels like the vibe of that sentence, yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. And no, it's because he's a, a famous heterosexual porn star who is mm-hmm. famous, not just a famous porn star, but famous for violent heterosexual pornography and yeah and he is in a role as a gay man and he has he doesn't have sexy sex scenes like
3: right it's like he's like he's having a very clearly weird and complicated time while exactly
0: like he there's one part where they have sex or he has sex he has sex with her while she's sleeping um you know the consent is dubious and uh afterwards he ha- he orgasms and he sobs um yeah. and you know she comforts him and it's just not that's yeah it the point is the confusion and mm-hmm. it's also playing with your expectations of this man and Mm -hmm. pointing to his real life status like that is very much part of the role right because he's like
3: one of the most famous like adult film actors of porno yeah (laughs) Um, he is uh, yeah in, in like all of europe
0: exactly yeah, um, and also
3: he speaks French with an Italian accent it's in the film. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really charming. Yeah,
0: I I really like Rocco Siffredi. Um, but yeah, he's famous for, like, not yeah, like I said, not just heterosexual porn, but like specifically like violent that uh you know has been highly criticized. Um, so that feels like it's missing the point a little bit. Um, yeah,
3: and I think similarly, like, so uh Amasseur or a Fat Girl is like not on this list, but it is talked about like briefly in the text. That fascinates um, me. And is like because so, so like which the sentence she says is like that Catherine Briot is like making the male gaze like more like is like evoking it it kind of intentionally, but then um that's like to like recreate the kind of triangulation triangulation of gazes um by like when one sister is looking at the other sister with this man um that like where that like kind of where we're placed in that becomes also like un- unsettled or un- um not like clearly defined in terms of like Oh, this is how we're, su- we're supposed to place ourselves in a gaze because we're like looking at this younger sister, looking at her older sister in this like sexualized situation. Um, and that like that confusion is part of what's like the film is about. Um, but it seems like for, for Iris Bray, that's like not enough to get it on the list. <laughs>
0: That seems to silly to me, but... Yeah, I mean, it's... The other thing I wanted to say about Anatomy of Hell, also, is because we're talking about protagonists, and that seems very important to Iris Bray, both of those characters are the protagonists. And I would actually argue that Rocco C. Freddie is the protagonist and mm. not the woman that he watches because we are in his POV the entire time. When mm. he leaves her house... And goes to – he goes to a bar and he has um, this conversation with this drunk old man who's, like, going on a tangent about – like, a misogynist tangent, basically. And Rocco Mm -hmm. Siffredi like, joins in kind of, like, cosplaying a straight man. And – but now he, like, has things to say (laughs) because he (laughs) – yeah, because he just experienced this. We're with him. We're not with her. So – and we are he she's mysterious we don't know anything about her we know a lot more about him he's gay he lives in the city he's a hustler um he hates women he frequents nightclubs and gets blowjobs on the dance floor we know a lot more about him than we know about her so yeah i would argue that he's the protagonist
3: right and if like we're going this very like narrative normative way of looking at a film like if anybody is going through like a change right it's him yeah 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 because like we don't really know where she's at
0: she's very mysterious she's more of like a specter of Mm -hmm. his disgust than she is a real person like so it's kind of also an an irony too because She invites him in to view her as, like, a real person. But Catherine Briott very intentionally obscures everything about her. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, she – we know some things, you know, like, she lives in this very isolated area in this weird house. Um, She is obviously not doing well uh, mentally. And uh, she talks a little bit about her early experiences as a young girl being looked at um but overall she is as she's mysterious in the film because she is mysterious to him so Mm -hmm. i would argue that we're more with him in the movie than we are with her
3: yeah yeah i think you're totally right about that and then Um,
0: in fat girl which um in french it's fuck your sister right it's
3: it's like it's like at my sister like to my sister um so it's like unclear to me what the tone of that is supposed to be as a title
0: so this is another movie that has been very um controversial in my life um Mm -hmm. i'll just tell a story because i feel like it's relevant uh when i was in college first reading about the male gaze uh we, I was in my first film class ever, and this is what completely turned me off of film, and I actually like switched to uh, doing something else and then came back to film later in grad school, but we watched Fat Girl. So I took a class about French film, like history of French film, and we watched Fat Girl, and uh, for those who don't know, Fat Girl is about two sisters, um, one older, and thin and conventionally beautiful and the other is younger and fat and they go with their parents on a holiday and the older sister meets an older man and has uh, a sexual relationship with him that is very like manipulative and messed Mm up Um, and but she like falls head over heels for him and the fat sister is kind of like a witness to all of it so that's the kind of the general plot and there is a scene where the older sister is um coerced into having anal sex because she doesn't want to lose her virginity and uh the during that scene the young men in my class you know at the time i didn't think of them that way but we were all 18 were laughing During that scene.
3: Wow.
0: Yeah. And a couple of the women left the room because they were so offended. And being a scrappy baby feminist, I stayed. And I was the only woman left. (laughs) And after the film ended, I asked why they were laughing. One guy was like, well, that's like it was so exaggerated and silly like that doesn't happen and I was like it does
3: <laughs> yeah I definitely I have was an interaction say, almost, almost almost exactly verbatim,
0: like that
3: almost verbatim like yeah that. to the point like,
0: where the film yeah. is like is more about it's it's so generic that it's something that so many people c- so many women can relate to and or people who um, grew up like as women or you know people seeing them as women um it's mm-hmm. yeah and i inc- i by the way i include trans women in that definition i think a lot of people think people are just talking about afab people but i i think trans women are included in that i think people see the feminine in closeted young trans women and take advantage of it uh,
3: <laughs> yeah like when when people say that like when people try to make the claim that trans women are socialized as men it's like no they're they're g- generally they are very specifically socialized as closeted right. trans women which is like a totally different totally set of yeah
0: and like, you know and it's perhaps that trans people who are afab identify with that experience the experience of girlhood as well because it's such an abject position um Mm -hmm. that you know so many of us fall into and I include trans women in that
3: yeah and I would say like for myself too like I definitely like while like I would describe myself as like a non-binary trans person and not a woman but like I had a like I had experiences that I would describe as a girlhood and I feel like that film really like incredibly accurately portrays elements of that in a way that I had like never. It's very experienced moving in a film because
0: before. it's I mean when I, I saw it very shortly after something like that had happened to me when I was in high school and it helped me conceptualize it mm. as wrong. Uh, and, you know, not that I even think that that's what the movie is trying yeah. to do, but it's because I don't, I think Catherine Briata doesn't like to give straight answers. Um, but just seeing mm. that experience on screen was so powerful for me. And, Uh, you know, when these young men were like, that doesn't happen. I was like, we are having a completely different experience of the world (laughs) because it sure does. And it happened to probably all of the women in this room that left. And I, yeah, it was just a very strange, strange first week of film school.
3: Yeah. Wow. I mean, it too, especially like those those dudes in that film class were probably about the age of yeah, like, I think that he's supposed to man be on break Yeah, like 19, 20. Like, and it's and it's like yeah, he those, is, those and those she's like fifteen. Guys are laughing yeah. at it, like statistically the likelihood that like they're behaving that way is not in their favor. Like, um,
0: exactly, yeah, and we had what I thought was a good discussion. Where they like kind of, you know, they made, well, the, the professor needed to intervene, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but uh, I I ended up getting uh, harassed by one wow. of the guys for a long time. He was putting notes in my mailbox. Um, he, yeah, so that, and then he had to leave our school because he made, he apparently made a film that was so misogynist wow. that none of the professors wanted to work with yeah. <laughs> so um <laughs> sh- Catherine Briat inspires very strong reactions. Um my grad school professor uh going even going having more interactions with this particular film. My grad school professor was the critic Amy Taubin, Um and who's actually Ooh. mentioned a lot in the scholarship that I read for this podcast, so that's very funny. Um and She's a big Catherine Briott fan. And I wrote a... I, I had written an essay. And Amy Talbon was the kind of professor that she would hand your papers Whoa. back to you in front of everyone and talk about how you did in front of everyone. And she handed back this one girl's wow. paper to her. And she goes, well, this paper was written at a fifth grade level. I know. And... <laughs> I she gave me back my paper and she was like you can do better than this like you're going to redo this. So I chose mm-hmm. so she was giving a little bit more benefit of benefit to me. Uh, and I chose to write about fat girl. Um but yeah, anyway, I just wanted to tell that story yeah. because it's just such yeah, a pol- also, it's like, such polarizing word. I'm not going to say um, anything
3: about the contents of the ending because I think people should watch it um and form their own opinions about it but it's like i feel like it's very much a film that i could see people having like one opinion about like 90 percent of it and then a completely different opinion about the very end um which i think is like a um a bold choice and like kind of interesting formally um that like i feel like it's a film that could have ended like a little bit earlier and been so much less controversial and she was like fuck that I'm making this film like and and this is how it's where it's going
0: (laughs) I love her (laughs) yeah and um massive spoiler alert and I usually don't really care about spoilers but I will say that if you want to watch Fat Girl like it is nice to go in fresh mm-hmm. and not know right. this but just because I want to talk about the ending spoiler so <laughs> at the end of Fat Girl the three women in the family the mother the older sister and the the younger daughter are driving away and um, there's been a lot of you know controversy over the older daughter like fucking this grown man and they're driving away and they get tired so they pull off on the side of the road to go to sleep like a truck shop or something
3: and
0: they yeah yeah don't you know don't do that if you're a woman and this uh, man breaks through the windshield and murders the yeah. mother and daughter. It's, like, very sudden, like, out of nowhere. And he breaks through the windshield and murders the mother and daughter. And the fat daughter runs into the woods, and he captures her and rapes her. And as he is raping her, the mm-hmm. she exerts a lot of agency. And she's like, you know, make it quick. Like, you know, she's kind of like playing at it like it's sex like it's like consensual sex you know she's like mm-hmm. having this virginity loss moment and then when the police come she denies um
3: they asked that, that her happened kind of they're like um they're like yeah she says he didn't rape her and she's like well don't believe me if you don't want to um to like these cops <laughs> um and it also yeah. like it feels like Part of the foreshadowing of that is like while she's having a conversation with her sister um, earlier on, she talks about how like af- that she would wants to lose her virginity to someone that she doesn't care about, like that it doesn't matter um, because she's seen how like emotionally devastating it is.
0: Well, she doesn't want to be like her sister. <laughs> she's like, you're an idiot the whole the whole time. She's like the silent observer and she, you know, is kind of like thinks her sister is stupid for believing this man and, you know, taking you know, she sees the right. suffering like, that she goes not, through and she's I like, I'm not gonna go through that. Allow
3: myself to be like emotionally impacted by a man in that way. And and then this like incredibly extreme Yeah like what is like the furthest you could take that logic in a scenario is what happens.
0: Yeah, it's like both what is the furthest you can take that logic right. and also what is the difference between this and what we saw earlier? Like, kind of, you know, which one is worse, really? Which one is, does, you know, who, who are these kind of men or, you know, it's just okay. very like, There's no answers, like, as in all of her work. Um, Anyway, I obviously love her work and could talk about it forever. Um, (laughs) No, no. Yeah, she doesn't dedicate that much time
3: (laughs) to to talking about those two films. Um, But they were the ones that I watched as a result of reading this book that I was the most excited to talk to you about. (laughs) So I'm glad that we spent so much time on them.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I would I would be interested to hear what you think of romance, and it's also really interesting that she didn't include it because that is like the fe- the Catherine Briot female gaze movie. Yeah, I
3: will definitely check uh, it out I'm more
0: than these. You. Yeah, um, and then she she also talks about um, le passion de Jeanne d'Arc. Uh, which is like I'm going way back in time But that's from 1928 mm-hmm. That's directed by Mann, yeah, there's a man There are a, a
3: few um, films on this list Directed by men um, So the passion um, And then uh, Louise. Is Carol um, And Paul Verhoeven's L, which she actually talks about at like Pretty substantial length um, And seems to like Be pretty into in a way that I was like Pleasantly surprised by
0: I love Elle. What do, what does she say about it? Yeah, so
3: I think like part of what she likes about it is is the fact that we aren't necessarily like so the way the way she's talking about it particularly is about like depictions of assault in film. And I think part of what is interesting to her is like how the assaults that take place in um in L are shot that like where like and sort of how the camera moves and where it's placed, she feels like it's not like the kind of typical male gaze way of filming assault in, in film. Um in part like there's um there are moments where we where the camera kind of has the point of view of her cat rather mm-hmm. than like we aren't expected Uh, as the audience to kind of like place ourselves with with this man and we're not looking at her really like we're kind of like like where the camera is is not always like a giving us the kind of like ideal view where we can like see everything happening um so it's not an
0: exploitation film (laughs) right (laughs) I mean, that's the other, that's, like I guess, like, one of the other gripes I have with this kind of theory is, like, when people are like, well, the body is not on display, and I'm like, well, when is the female body on display in a rape scene except in a Grindhouse movie? Right. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) like, what, which, you know, obviously there's a lot of reasons for that, but there's movies like The Accused, which are obviously not, it's not on this list, but that assault is much more from the perspective of, like, what if you were a bystander? But it's certainly not, like, objectifying. Uh, But that, yeah, anyway, uh, I feel like I interrupted you.
3: Yeah, well, and, like, part of it, too, is, like, about, like, how the way that, like, that relation... hmm, I'm trying to think how to, like, succinctly describe Mm this. Um, But basically... The, the fact that the way that her relationship with this man kind of, like, is shifting in its power dynamics is, like, th- this, um, like, the way that who she kind of, like, hmm, how she is placed in a power relationship to him doesn't follow this very, like, linear path. I think part of what's so like surprising and interesting about that film, right? Is that it doesn't take the the trajectory that you think it's going to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that like the way that she looks at things, the way that she looks at this man, but also the way that she looks at images of herself and like talks about images of herself um, is a thing that evolves over the course of the film like she because she talks at length about um, like a picture of herself as a child and how distant she is from it. And so like part of the trajectory of the film is like her becoming more embodied through trauma (laughs) Um, kind of like rather than becoming like more disembodied or more like detached from herself. Um,
0: Or more embodied not even through trauma but I mean I guess like it is trauma uh, you know just like inherently but more embodied through going through (laughs) by going through an experience that put her in her body Mm -hmm. that's kind of how I was was more thinking of it Um, like having to be aware of the body in that way
3: yeah yeah because like I think
0: or like re- and also like reminds her of her femaleness
3: yeah yeah and I think like that because like also the fact that the at the the way that that film talks about like friendship between between women is also like feels related to that in a way that I don't have an articulate thought about yet I don't have an
0: articulate <laughs> thought either but um, yeah I'm also just thinking about like Paul Verhoeven's oeuvre.
3: Yeah, I did <laughs> I did watch Benedetta earlier
0: today. What do you think?
3: Because I hadn't seen it yet, and I was like, oh, maybe anyone want to talk about it. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, yeah, it was like, hell yeah, horny nun movie. This is great.
0: <laughs> well, what I really, you know, Paul Verhoeven, like, basic instinct, like, I can buy that movie as a movie that illustrates the male gaze like, for mm-hmm. sure. And then I can buy Elle as a movie that illustrates the female gaze. I just think like he he he's very obviously a very controversial director, just like Catherine Briot.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um and I would be interesting to hear what Iris Bray would say about his early work. Mm-hmm. Because movies like Elle and Benedetta are much more um quote unquote feminist. Mm-hmm. Um whereas I th- I mean he thought he was making feminist work but
3: like, I, I think that's probably true.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um and you know with something like Showgirls I would be interested to hear what she would say about something like that. Um L is considered like his like more the movie that's like considered his like high art. Film yeah
3: and she does like talk about The fact that a bunch of you know It was sort of denounced by Feminists um, Like and she thinks El like
0: was because yeah. I'm sure it was in France like in France that was Probably more of a discussion than it was here
3: Right like I don't remember there Being any discourse about that movie Here when it came out, I came out Americans
0: don't watch Foreign films <laughs>
3: right, yeah, Like I don't remember any of that but I think in In like French film schools I'm Sure there was a lot of drama about it and, you know, she was like, I think you know, she says that that is like a like a reductionist, like a reductive way of thinking about the film is like just about um, like that. It's like participating in in rape culture while denouncing denouncing it, which is like, well, you, it's once again the thing of like, well, if we want to make a film about something, it's it got to be hard, about that. Yeah, like it's hard for that thing to not be in the film
0: yeah and also i you know i've talked about this before on this podcast probably but i don't like the idea that rape is so horrific and forbidden and mysterious that we can't show it in a movie like i feel like that's just more alienating
3: yeah i mean i think that like one of the things that film can do is to help us to understand the nuance of complicated experiences Mm -hmm. by seeing experiences that are similar to but different from our own and how various characters react to them and I think that you know one of the things that film is helpful to me in I think is like in understanding like my own experiences of of abuse and things like that and what it might look like to continue to live my life in whatever way
0: well something I also really like about Elle is um Isabel Huppert after she gets assaulted in her own home she doesn't really tell anyone Mm -hmm. and then when she does she's like yeah I was like raped yesterday like it's she's
3: at dinner really casually yeah
0: yeah which I love that element of the movie because rape is treated culturally like the worst thing that can ever happen to a woman and it's you know it's simultaneously like we're not supposed to talk about it but also you're supposed to have the correct reaction and the correct reaction is to be a ruined woman or a strong survivor and she's just her in this she's just like kind of a bitch She's just kind of a bitch, yeah. And
3: that's, like, part of what I love about that character.
0: Exactly, and she's just like, yeah, I was raped yesterday. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's not, she is, like, doesn't want this to be the focal point of her life. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, and and I think that, like, that the idea that something is could never be present in a film, or if so, it has to only be treated with like the absolute utmost seriousness and the stakes have to be so, so high if, if this subject is ever to be reckoned with in a film. I think um, that attitude is also part of what we kind of sub- subsume into ourselves, right? And so it's like, okay, so then I am supposed to only think about like the traumas that I've experienced with like the intense immensity of weight of them. And, and I have to be, you know, in this, like participating in this like grand narrative about the awful things that befell me, but like, that's not actually how everyone best for themselves, like, reckons with those things and like deals with those things like you know as someone who likes to make like really dark jokes about the fucked up things that have happened to me and like that's also useful right like that's like also therapeutic or like what does it mean to like have a traumatic experience and like make a fetish out of it that that might make me feel better actually yeah. and that's fine
0: <laughs> and that's completely fine the human brain is very weird and, you know we don't fully understand all of the things that happen up there right. and how things connect and uh, I just like that this movie is a different way of looking at this mm-hmm. Um, there's some of the other films she mentions speaking of rape on film right. uh, Base Moi from 2000 have you seen that
3: I have not, but I would love to hear about it from you.
0: Oh, it's great. Um, I actually screened it last year. It's – the book was originally written by uh, French feminist Virginie Despont, and the movie is directed by Coralie Trinty and Virginie Despont. And it was a very controversial film. Um, Theaters were raided while the movie was playing. Like, the cops came in and, like, stopped the – the uh, the film so it's about these two women so one is named Manu and she is um, a living in the like Muslim section of France so there's also a lot of class and race commentary in the film Manu has lived a difficult life abused and violently raped she sets off to find herself only to meet Nadine a prostitute who has encountered one too many injustices in the world. Angry at the world, they embark on a twisted, rage-filled road trip. They choose to have sex when they please and kill when they need, leaving a trail of mischief and dead bodies in their wake. Generating a media blitz and manhunt, soon everyone is out to capture the young fugitives.
3: Yeah, that sounds really fun.
0: It's great. I It's one of my favorite movies. Um, it stars Karen Lancoum and Raphael Anderson, who were both adult film actresses um, and both of North African descent. Uh, Coralie met them, the, one of the writers, who I believe is also of North African descent, met them while she was herself working in the adult film industry. Mm. So it's a film made by sex workers, about sex workers, that's awesome. Um, it's very awesome. It's and it's based on the novel by Depont, which um, there are quite a few differences between the film and the book. The book dives much deeper, and I also recommend it. Uh, the novel garnered a lot of criticism and media buzz as well. Its debut cemented Depont as part of the new wave of feminist French punk writers of the 1990s, um, and. You know, there was similar feminist going feminist writing going on globally at the time, like in the u s. we had Riot Girl and writers like Michelle T. But, uh, the French version of it is cooler. <laughs> the, film <laughs> <laughs> the film received a lot of intense media coverage because of its graphic mix of violence and explicit sex. Um, it's often considered an example of new French extremity. The mm-hmm. title has a double meaning. You know, because the French noun, on basse, means means uh, a kiss, but as a verb, it means to fuck. So um, it simply it's simply one of those mean, things
3: that's challenging for new French speakers. Right. Uh,
0: it's uh, the title simply means fuck me, uh, but in some markets has been screened as rape me. In 2002 interview, uh, the interpretation of rape me was rejected by the directors. So that seems like a very American interpretation. It's often characterized as being within the rape revenge genre. But whereas rape revenge is as a genre is traditionally kind of about women's rage directed at the patriarchy and at men specifically, this film is more about class rage Mm -hmm. um, and specifically the way that women of the lower class are disenfranchised. Uh, because the women, they also kill women in the in the film, and that represent like the upper class to them. Many people found this a very disturbing inversion of the rape revenge trope. But the film is really about the way class is gendered, and the violent experiences of being an impoverished woman. Uh, and like I said, it was like really pilloried by the far right movement in France by pro family groups the state council offered a rating of 18 plus which had been abolished in 1990 meaning that basemois received the much more maligned rating of x which meant that the film could only be shown in specially licensed outlets and receive no financial support from the government rendering it impossible to recoup the costs so it's it's a punishment rating totally Kind of like here, except the government doesn't help us make movies here. (laughs) Um, And then uh, Dupont and Trinty, you know, campaigned against the X rating, which became like a national debate with the far right decrying the film's um, anti-establishment directed violence and sexuality. Um, Intellectual and artistic communities lobbied for freedom of expression and the cultural merits of the film. Supporters included Catherine Briott. Uh, of course claire denis of course
3: who who claire denis is like notably absent from this list
0: she must have an issue with her because she's another big french feminist director
3: too many men in her films i think is the is the unfortunately simple answer to that it's like the protagonists are all dudes
0: yeah they are yeah and her movies rule <laughs> yeah,
3: are so good. Yeah, <laughs> it,
0: Trouble Every Day is a wonderful movie. Um, I showed that in this like lineup um, when I showed uh, Bas Moi. Godard, Jean Luc Godard was another person who defended the film. Mm-hmm. Um, Righteous. And, um, there was like a public demonstration. So under pressure, the French minister of culture reinstated the 18 plus rating, which allowed the film to be legally released again in theaters. Wow. Yeah. So I would. Yeah, I am
3: excited to watch it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've talked it up before and people have been like, it's not as violent as I thought it would be, but it's, um, it's a difficult movie um just side note I can probably get you a copy of it it's hard to find so yeah, I would love to
3: see it because she, she talks in the book a bit about how it's edited and how it's shot and how like the like the intercutting of shots that might have a kind of like pornographic look to them but then like the way that they're intercut with other things like takes that and makes it a uh, like a subjective a subjective pornographic look <laughs> or something um but I obviously couldn't get as much out of reading about it without having seen it so right
0: right it. yeah um I would uh, you know according to her standards like some of her standards I think are really subjective hmm. um that you've, you you illustrate to me obviously I haven't read the book but if the female gaze, there needs to be a female protagonist, and we empathize with them, that is s- certainly base moi. Um mm-hmm. I think. Other people might watch it and really not empathize with them. It was a whole debate about it. So <laughs> that's, you know, it also depends where the viewer is coming from.
3: Yeah, and like, what does it mean to like, feel like you're feeling what they're feeling? Right. Um, and is that what empathy means? is or is that what people mean when they say empathy um,
0: i also just like don't really care about empathy that much but that's another, <laughs> <laughs> another, another time
3: i mean i think it's not the only way to relate to a film and i think like again this very character oriented way of thinking about a film is um one of the limitations i think of this way of, this sort of um theoretical framing continuing from Mulvey
0: right right yeah Um,
3: and I like I think maybe one thing that we could talk about briefly um is she spends a fair amount of time in the book talking about Wonder Woman the 2017 movie
0: please tell me about what Um, her take about Wonder Woman
3: (laughs) and like she describes her experience of seeing it in the theater and like how like incredibly moved she was oh god like what a like amazing experience it was to see like all of these women like training together seeming invincible and like and i was just like oh my god
0: that's (laughs) so heterosexual
3: yeah, and, and also like the the fact that I think this like very this very character oriented way of thinking about the like gender politics of a film or the politics of a film, right, is like how you can end up with things like thinking that a movie like Wonder Woman is like extremely progressive whereas like it's like Okay, yes, we can have lady superheroes too. We can have women participating in the military industrial complex and its propaganda. This also, like, congratulations, we have more female guards now.
0: That movie Um, is the military gaze, not the female gaze. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah. And I, like, I mean, I I had like an okay time watching that movie. I saw it in theaters with my middle aged mother,
0: I saw it in theaters with my ex girlfriend. (laughs)
3: yeah my mom was like wow look at like look at all those broads up there fighting i'm good for them you know um (laughs) and so like like i had a nice time i guess while it was happening and then i was like oh i feel like i just like watched a recruitment video you know
0: that's how i feel whenever i watch a superhero movie yeah
3: yeah like am I gonna watch the new Batman because I'm horny for Robert Pattinson yeah but am I gonna be happy about myself doing that no
0: <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> watch it because I'm horny for Zoe Kravitz and also I want to laugh so <laughs> right. I like, like I like to laugh
3: <laughs> yeah like I mean it's and it's like I think it's you know again like okay yeah these that that movie I understand why someone could have fun watching Wonder Woman but it's to think about it as, like, deeply progressive, just because it's showing a woman being strong and like the camera choices are about her strength, not necessarily about her fuckability. Although I would say, eh, yeah, hmm. on that on that assessment, but like, I disagree. Um, yeah, I, how, I, how it's shot. Yeah, um, but um, and, you know, and it was like directed by a woman. This, directed by patty jenkins but it's like again i think this way of thinking about it is a way that is a, is a way of thinking about a film's politics that like stops at like girl power yeah like at, and at, like at the level of like this character and do i feel what this character is feeling and do i care about this character and like do i feel myself reflected in this character and not like how does this fit into like global militarization politics or whatever
0: yeah how about the fact that it uses feminism and the mainstream appeal contemporary appeal of feminism to advance a militarized agenda Mm -hmm. like that's really what's going on in that movie (laughs) it's like yeah i mean also, she doesn't look particularly strong. She looks like she weighs 90 pounds soaking wet. Like, if you <laughs> right. really want to give me a strong Wonder Woman, give me a muscle queen. Like, mm-hmm. give me someone with bulk. There were some women in that movie in the on the uh, Sapphic Island <laughs> that they lived on that were very muscular, and they're not the main characters, and there's a reason for that, mm-hmm. uh, which plays much into a, like a patriarchal framework of how women are supposed to look she's very much still supposed to be very attractive and mm-hmm. pretty and palatable so yeah that just that's that's embarrassing like you said yeah in notes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that was like the the one film that I was like okay yeah I don't agree with
2: this at all Courant d'air, je suis une maison vide sans toi, sans toi, comme une île déserte que recouvre la mer, mes plages. Um